Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. I want to draw your attention to the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah. I want to look at the first eight verses of Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Praise God for the staff of this church and their hospitality and making sure everything's in place. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you, you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand my God was upon me. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk from a simple subject this morning is prayer works. Prayer works. Are you ready for an answer to your prayers? Yes? Are you sure? For the, for, for the sad truth is that many Christians often pray for breakthrough without the faith or fortitude to do the hard work towards said breakthrough. It's like the church that went into fervent prayer for rain, then only the old mother showed up with a raincoat. <laughs> what if, what if opposed to you waiting on God, God was waiting on you to do something towards your answered prayer? You do understand that prayer minus action equals a waste of time. <laughs> Hebrews 11 and 6 affirms this truth by saying, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So the sermon titled Prayer Works has a dualistic meaning. Prayer works in that it is effective and prayer works in that it affects us. 
It leads us to fervently work and do something towards the solemn request that we make to God. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 records Nehemiah's petition and permission from, watch this, an ungodly king to return to his native holy land of Jerusalem to rebuild torn down walls and burn down gates. These shattered walls and charred gates symbolizes uh, both political and social victimization and vulnerability. These verses displays Nehemiah's commitment to genuine prayer and working after praying. He accepts the sovereign offer by God that he gives everyone in here to partner with him by praying and doing something. <laughs> that leads to the point of the sermon. That leads to the sermon and the sentence, the thesis of the message, the big idea of the sermon. In fact, young people, it's tweetable. And, I, 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 and I'll make a deal with you. If you can get this simple sentence, you can go to sleep through the rest of the sermon. Here it is. God demands action with our prayers. I'll say it again. God demands actions with our prayers. I must pray and work towards my holy desires, and you should do something to show that you expect God to answer your prayers. Here is the tension of the sermon. The antithesis is you will, if you will. Is God satisfied with your prayers with, uh, when there's no action? No. God graciously allows us to partner with him in prayer by not just vocalizing our requests, but doing something towards that request. If you don't mind, I want to give you a sermon affirmation, a statement that you can make throughout the week that affirms the application thought processes of the sermon. It is simply this. I will do something to show that I trust God can answer my prayers. Let, 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 let me say it again. This time, I, I wouldn't mind if you just said it with me. Here it is. I will, I will do something to show that I trust God to answer my prayers. Here in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, it outlines to us two keys that prove that God demands actions to answer our prayer. The first key, mark it down, is in the first five verses of Nehemiah. It is simply this. Prayer works when we, are, when we participate. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5 shows us this key. Prayer works when we participate. The second key is in verses 6 through 8 of Nehemiah. And it is this, prayer works when we are prepared. <laughs> Participation and preparation shows us that prayer works. Let's look at this, this first key. You didn't close your Bibles. I know you didn't. This is an expository church. So uh, 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 the first key is in verses 1 through 5. It, it's two demands to, into participation that is, that is outlined to us in this text. The, the first demand is in verses 1 through 3. Here is the demand of participation, especially for the people of God. You have to be willing, willing to take a risk. Look at verse number one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, stop right there. Nehemiah 2 begins in the same way that Nehemiah 1 begins. It begins by giving us the setting of the text. Just in Nehemiah 1, it, it begins with a time frame. And what there's been a time gap from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah chapter 2. It's been about four months since Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2. 
in Nehemiah chapter 1, the brother Hananiah comes to visit Nehemiah and tells him of the ruins of the city. Nehemiah is struck with sorrow, but he does not just wallow in his sorrow. He begins to pray and fast unto God. He, he confesses the sins of the nation to God. And now in chapter 2, Nehemiah has been waiting for an opportunity to act on his prayer requests. His diary might have been empty, but his heart was full. He is looking for the timing of God. This is why Jesus tells his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane to not just pray, but to watch and pray. Look for an opportunity for God to empower and equip you to do something about what you were praying about. Now Nehemiah has transitioned from his prayer closet to the presence of the most powerful man in the world. It's on this time, his name is King Artaxerxes, a Persian president who has king who has resided over the, the, cap, uh, the taking the people of Israel into captivity. Nehemiah says it was time for the king to drink some wine. And so I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Some of you may be wondering, why was Nehemiah taking the wine to the king? And others of you are wondering, why are they talking about wine in the Bible? <clears throat> well, Nehemiah is taking the wine to the king because he had an official cabinet position in the king's, uh, in the king's office, and that was as a cupbearer. A, a cupbearer was the person that drunk the king's, the paranoid king's wine before he drunk it to make sure it was not poison. Pretty, pretty uh, artistic job to have there. He, he, he was uh, the, the cupbearer and it is time for him to do so. But watch the tension of the text. Nehemiah says, now I had not been sad in his presence before. I bet you had not been sad in his presence before, king, because if you're the person that drinks the wine to make sure the king ain't being poisoned, the last thing you want to do is show up with a long face. <laughs> I believe strategically Nehemiah does just that. He is taking a risk. And the king will notice it and say something to him about it. As a bridge give him an opportunity to talk to the earthly king about what he's been talking to the heavenly king about. And y'all, it works. And that's the scariest thing about prayer is when prayer works. Because when prayer works, that means you got to work some more too. Let me make my case. He said, the king says, hey, hey, me, hey, 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 Nehemiah, you, 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 your face sad, bro. You ain't sick. We know that. We, you got to take a COVID test to get into the king's presence. <laughs> what's, what's going on? This is, this is sadness of the heart. Don't miss the text here. Nehemiah, narrating here, says, then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah has now gone from depression to fear. And you would be afraid as well if you are at this point of trying to pursue God's plan. An opportunity is here, but you don't know for sure how that opportunity is going to work out. Brothers and sisters, this is the call of leadership. This is the call of reaching for greatness. This is the call of stepping out of the box. This is the call when you're putting on a justice summit in the midst of a country that is anti-justice. It, it, I'm, not, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I, I got a holy suspension and a sanctified hunch that the God I serve is able to 
help me through this situation. Nehemiah is afraid. Nehemiah is depressed, but Nehemiah is pressing on. Am I talking to somebody here that God is saying, it's time for you to stop sitting on the sideline. It's time for you to start taking a risk. And I love it because Nehemiah is honest about how he feels. Nehemiah says, I'm overcome here. He's not afraid to say that he was afraid. Because others has been killed for being sad in the king's presence. Especially someone who's supposed to be drinking the cup. But fear either has two meanings for a person in life. For some, it means forget everything and run. For others, it means face everything and rise. Is there anybody here today that says, I will not define fear by forgetting everything and then run. I'm going to define fear by facing whatever that comes my way and rising to the occasion. Watch the progression of the text. Nehemiah says to the king, opportunity has presented itself. Nehemiah is a crafty leader. He knows the king is an ungodly king. He knows the king ain't the best boss he ever had. He knows the king is crooked and wild. He don't get up there wagging his finger telling the king what he ought to do. He don't get up there talking about I plead the blood. I like old me. Nehemiah says, O king, live forever. He starts with respect. And every now and then in life, you have to confront people that have leadership over you. Don't you ever forget that they still have leadership over you. Some of you right now, that's why you're looking at me with your arms folded, because you're unemployed, because you were in that office telling that boss. You're talking about fight the power and everything else. Nehemiah <laughs> says, King, live forever. But very gentle, gently. And let me add this. Make sure when you confront them, not just that it's respectful, but the reason is not personal reasons. It's for moral good. Nehemiah is not checking the king because he want an extra sick day or, or he's trying to get more pay to play. He, 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 he is a moral good behind it. Listen to what Nehemiah says. Why shouldn't my face be sad when a city place of my father's graves lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. I want you to see the progression here because in verse 1 through 3, he takes a risk. But in verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah has a request. Did you get that? Risk, then a request. In verse number five, oddly enough, you may not be able to feel this, but oddly enough, the king doesn't trip. The king says in verse number four, he says, um, so what you saying, bro? <laughs> I thought I was at home, sorry. What are you requesting? <laughs> the king question denotes that the moment has come Opportunity has arised. What will you do when opportunity shows up? My friend and brother uh, Raphael West says, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. When, when opportunity shows up, you ought to have your request ready at hand. The king ain't tripping, and the king says, what is it that you want? And I watch this, y'all. Don't be in a haste and a rush to open up your mouth. Nehemiah said, when the king asked me that, I prayed to the God of heaven. What a lesson in prayer there. It tells us lesson, our prayers can be quiet and quick. He didn't have time to break down his prayer like in Nehemiah 1. The king is before him and before he opened his mouth he began to pray is there anybody here that say your life will be a little bit better if you learn to pray before you open your mouth 
Don't be acting like that. Go on, tell the truth. We in church. Ain't nobody taking cute. Is there anybody here that can testify? If you just learn to pray real quick and real quiet before you spoke your mind, you probably will be in a better situation socially, financially, and across the board. But uh, Nehemiah is not about to spiritualize this situation. He prays and he tells them what's on his heart. Look at verse number five. It says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight. I believe what Nehemiah is essentially saying here, you know I've never showed up looking sad before. You know I never asked you to borrow some money and didn't pay you back. You, 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 you know I, I don't show up to work late talking about it was the traffic, like traffic ain't there every day. If, 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 I, if, I, if I found favor in your sight, send me to Judah. He's taking a risk in the midst of his request. Judah is the place where Artaxerxes has overtaken. The burned down walls and gates are a product of the leadership of Artaxerxes. And he says to the king, I want to go back and rebuild the city that you tow up. And that shows us here that every now and then, you got to be radical in your prayers problem with some of us we pray and we pray and we pray but we don't move and we move and don't move and move to higher levels of your prayer request you ought not be asking for a promotion on a job you ought to be asking for God to give you the investors to build your own business to make your own track you you ought not be asking the government for a handout we ought to be our own government and says I'm not gonna wait for them to build it I'm gonna build our own counseling center and, and justice center and, open up businesses to the vineyard of the church because we're not just praying to show up every Sunday and clap our hands about Jesus. We show up on Sunday for fuel to help us through the week to do radical things in the name of Jesus. Is there anybody here said that's why I joined this church? That's why I show up on Sunday morning because I need fuel to help me do something Monday through Saturday. Prayer works when you participate. Prayer works also when you are prepared. Preparation means that you need to have, I know, just stay with me here. You need to have an estimated time for your request. I don't mean to be overly practical here. Look at verse number six. It says, and the king said to him, Queen sitting beside him. We'll go back to that. How long will you be gone? And when will you return? This is a fair question from an employee to employer to his employee. Hey, bro, how long are you gonna be off? <laughs> no, you kind of don't want to attempt filling the cupbearer position. <laughs> you want somebody you know. And the Bible says that the request was granted when Nehemiah had given him a time. Now, history tells us that Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for 12 years. It's very unlikely that Nehemiah says it's going to take me 12 years. Quite frankly, as it relates to your dreams and ambitions, we really don't know how long it would take. But in our mind, we ought to have an estimate because it shows that we respect the commodity of time. Why should we respect the commodity of time? Friends, because the Bible tells us time moves swiftly, and you and I 
not here forever. Turn me up, sound man. I need them to hear me here. You do know you leaving here, right? They're looking at me like that. Man, they tripping over here, y'all. You do know, right? <laughs> All y'all tripping. You leaving here. So, so in Psalm 90 and 12, Moses prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days. And then David said in Psalm 39, 4 and 5, Oh, Lord, make me to know my end in the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days as a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Then James 4, 13 and 15 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such town and, and make a profit there. What is your life? You are just a mist here today and gone tomorrow. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will go and do such and such. Let me tell you, all of us here has a limited amount of time, but thanks be to God that the God we serve is able to suppress and surpass whatever our limitations is. If we get to working for him now. Franklin said lost time is never found again. William Penn said time is what we want most, but what we use worse. Steve Jobs said the most precious resource we have is time. Harvey McKay says time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You, can you can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you'll never get it back. Miles Davis says time isn't the main thing. It's the only thing. How long will it take for God to fulfill the holy desires in your heart? This is a real question that you should be able to answer. It may not be that. It may not be pinpoint on precision, but you need to know, is it going to take you four years of forgetting that degree or six years? Is, is it going to take you six months to save up money for that down payment or is it going to take you a year? Have a guesstimation of your time. But then there's something interesting seemingly thrown in there. It says, parentheses, you see it there. Hey, sisters. The Bible says, the queen was sitting behind, beside him. Is there any significance to this statement? I think so, but it really gets deep because in studying this, I learned that this word in the Hebrew really isn't queen. It really refers to a close, intimate friend or contact. This is an ungodly king. This is most likely not a queen. This has been dressed up by the conservative viewpoint. Uh, this is most likely, y'all cool, right? Y'all cool? This is most likely a mistress, a side chick. However, I, I tend to suggest that Nehemiah has been waiting for this particular one to be sitting next to the king. And even in the midst of this scandalous presentation, I think there is a subtle lesson to us that a man in power with the right woman next to him operates with a sense of mental stability. And if that is true, a man in power with the wrong woman next to him can operate with a sense of instability. That was it. So, uh, <laughs> and to be fair, 
the right man with the right woman and the right woman with the right man sitting next to them is able to be a better father, wife, husband, leader, and so on. And so the lesson is, watch who you have sitting next to you. Just keep looking at me and looking holy if they with you today. Verses 7 and 8, I'm almost done. <laughs> uh, tells us that you need to have the details of the essentials for your requests. Are you with me? Nehemiah is prepared. It, it's almost like Nehemiah is calculating in his head. Wait a minute. He ain't tripping. Hold on. He got a little wine in him. He got her next to him. Uh-oh. I'm about to tell him what I really, really want. <laughs> no, look at the Bible. I'm not making it up. Look, look, look he said. And the, he said to the king, if it pleases the king, since you're being so gracious, uh, uh, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that let me pass through until I come to Judah. And then he's done research. He knows who's in charge of the Home Depot in Persia. He says, let Asaph, the, the keeper of the king's forest, let him give me timber for the beans, for, for the gates of the fortress of the temple. He started talking about the temple. He's spilling all the beans now in the walls of the city. And then I'm going to be there for a little while. Let me get some timber for the house. And, and guess what? Nehemiah understood that the hand, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And let that be a reminder to you today that there's nothing so big, nothing so powerful, nothing so dynamic that God can't change that situation. He can change that hard-hearted leader. He can change that hard-hearted president. He can change that hard-hearted a governor, a mayor, but that's not just to a person. That's the sickness and distress that in your life. God can change cancer. God can change whatever that's coming your way. He's able to do it. Yeah. Nehemiah said, I want a letter. So when I get the traveling, I could just show him, bang, here's my letter from the king. Then he says, King, give me your Amex Platinum. I want to go by Home Depot and get everything I need and not have a worry. King, you would never believe what happened. The king gave it to him. Isn't that just like God? The problem with some of us here is we're not prepared. If somebody came to you right now and said, I'm going to give you a million dollars for your dream, you ought to be able to spit it out clearly exactly what you need it for. But I love it. I'm done, y'all. I love it because the Bible says that Nehemiah testifies. Nehemiah says, look at the last clause in verse number 8. He says, the king granted me what I asked, but Nehemiah does not give the glory to the king. God, Nehemiah, understand God used this evil king because the good hand, wake up here, this is the good part, the good hand of my God was upon me. I, I knew you were going to act like that, so I brought Joseph to church with me, and Joseph can testify. I went from the potter's house in the prison to the palace, not because I was skilled, talented, and qualified. I went because God's hand was on me. Is there anybody here that can testify when you look back over your life that you made it this far because God had his hand on you? Can you help me close the sermon this morning and say, God did it? Come on, help me close the sermon. God did it. God help me pay those bills. God help me raise that child by myself. God help me through the recession. God did it. God, God healed my body. Is there anybody here this morning that say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I lost my mind a long time ago. Is there anybody here that said, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I stopped going to church a long time ago. Is there anybody here that said, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I would have stopped paying my tithes a long time ago. 
But is there anybody here that says there's something on the inside that keeps on pushing me when I feel like giving up? I didn't make it because of the president. I didn't make it because of the governor. I didn't make it because of the mayor. I didn't make it because of my good looks. I didn't make it because of my education. I didn't make it because of my relationships. I didn't make it because of my friend. I made it because there was some money that was keeping me. I said there was some money that was keeping me. Is that your testimony this morning? I said, is that your testimony this morning? Is there anybody here that feels like I feel? That you ought to pause and give God praise because he kept you through some stuff. He brought you through some stuff. He provided you some stuff that you never made it on your own. So I'm sitting down, but can I tell you I'm giving glory to God. I said I'm giving glory to God. I'm going to say hallelujah to his name. I'm going to say glory to his name. Do you believe it this morning? I said, do you believe it this morning? You ought to open up your mouth and say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Yes. Yes, you will. I said, yes, you will. I said, yes, you will. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.